Do you ever find yourself worrying? Am I better than that person over there? Am I worse? Or am I just as good? Or do you find yourself cooperating with someone because you believe it gives you an advantage of some kind? Your Mindful Life Podcast. Hello and welcome. My name is Mary Slocum, and today we're exploring the comparing mind. Why are we always comparing, and how does the comparing mind set us off in the direction of dissatisfaction? First, though, have you noticed there's no advertising on the podcast. So if you're moved to support the show, become a member via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash your mindful life. That's patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com forward slash your mindful life, all one word. Being a member helps us to keep going with the podcast and also gives you access to member-only content, musings on mindfulness, audio talks, and guided meditations. So go on over, check it out, and become a member today. And now let's talk about the comparing mind. We human beings have evolved by using both cooperation and competition. Darwin is best known for the theory of natural selection, which is at the core of our evolutionary journey. In the popular mind, this theory has mostly been equated with the expression survival of the fittest, which conjures up head-to-head competition, winners and losers. But actually, Darwin observed that groups that express sympathy and who cooperate thrive more than groups rooted in competition. Now, his use of the word sympathy sounds a bit odd to us today, but at the time of his writing in the 1800s, the word sympathy meant what we today call compassion. Thomas Dixon, writing in The Guardian back in 2016, reminds us, In The Descent of Man, Darwin wrote about loving and cooperative behaviors in dogs, elephants, baboons, pelicans, and other species. He thought that sympathetic and cooperative tribes and groups would flourish in comparison with communities made up of more selfish individuals, and that natural selection would thus favor cooperation. As a species, we have evolved by using both competition and cooperation. In a sense, they go together. We cooperate more within our group and compete more with other groups. We might cooperate because we see it as a way of gaining favor, more food, more sex, or more status. We might cooperate as a way of gaining advantage over someone else in our or another group. This points to what we already know. Intentions matter. We are moral beings who have and exercise the capacity to choose and choose according to our core values. 
And this gives us an immense advantage. We can choose to cooperate or compete depending on whether it aligns with our ethics, our core values. So what has the comparing mind got to do with cooperation and competition? At a very basic level, the comparing mind helps us to choose whether to compete or cooperate. When the comparing mind is aligned with our ethics, it helps us to choose right speech, right actions, and right livelihood. Void of a moral compass, it can lead us down the path of dissatisfaction and suffering. When the comparing mind gets caught up in sensing its worth compared to others, it's like a beacon always on the lookout always monitoring and measuring, am I better? Am I worse? Am I just as good? And you may ask, why do we do this? Because we humans have evolved living in groups. Sometimes we go off on our own, but in the end, we always have some kind of community, loose or tightly knit around us. We know that our survival requires our belonging to some kind of group. The comparing mind then has much to do with how we see ourselves within our group and how we see ourselves in juxtaposition to other groups, perhaps ones that we want to belong to or ones that we reject. The comparing mind is rooted in our deep evolutionary conditioning. And left to its own devices, it causes us much dissatisfaction as we spend our time and energy either trying to be superior to or just as good as others and or berating ourselves for our perceived inferiority to others. When we cooperate because it makes us feel we are better than others, we end up dissatisfied. When we compete because it makes us feel we are better than others, we end up dissatisfied. We even suffer when we put all our energy into being just as good as someone else because we are never satisfied. Once we are just as good, we reach for superiority. Even when we reach superiority, life happens and suddenly we get knocked about and don't feel we are superior anymore. And when we are beating ourselves up for being inferior, we feel ashamed, unwanted, or not good enough. And we either begin striving to overcome what we perceive to be our inadequacies, or we get mired in beating ourselves up. Any way we look at it, this is suffering. The comparing mind starts with, where are we now and where do we want to be? Competing and cooperating are mechanisms we use to achieve position, notoriety, status, or feelings of worthiness within our group. Over time, though, groups shift and change. Culture and groups are not static. We see it happening before our very eyes in this moment. Right now, we are in the midst of great shifts in moral consciousness. Those in the power group with developed moral compasses and altruistic habits are flexible in the face of change. Those in the power group who feel marginalized or downtrodden are rigid and hold on for dear life, 
grasping to keep their membership in the power group. They cannot see the systemic workings of the group. They cannot see that those at the top need them only as a number to be counted, as one more cog in the wheel to keep them at the top. Their well-being or satisfaction is of little use or concern to the power structure. If you ask a top-ranked athlete how they describe competition, they usually answer along the lines of having a plan and practicing so that their performance to plan is embedded in muscle memory. They talk about feeling ready to give their best, even if not feeling 100%. They give 100% of where they are at the moment. They talk about being in the moment, letting all that physical and mental practice do what it does without the mind interfering and enjoying the experience without self-reflecting. They are not thinking about their competitors or what they will do. There is no comparing themselves to the competition or trying to compete once they are on the field, in the lane, or on the road. Think about it. This is actually a good way to live. This is mindful living. Have a plan. Practice the skills called out in the plan. Execute the plan. Be in the moment. And execute from a place of mindfulness and equanimity. A place of now, space, and balance. So why do we all indulge the comparing mind? We do because we get caught up in ego mind, and the ego mind is fragile and is always grasping and holding on. We want to be adulated, flattered, praised, loved, valued, and admired. We may not want to admit this to anyone, not even to ourselves, and we do it in subtle and not-so-subtle ways. In college, I remember comparing myself constantly to a few other women in my class who seemed to have it all. Good looks, great clothes, stellar grades, handsome boyfriends, and exciting travel. And this comparing mind made me miserable because it made me forget that the three jobs in the skimpy wardrobe had a purpose, and that purpose was what mattered most to me to learn and to immerse myself in new experiences, to meet new and different kinds of people. It made me forget that I love school. I love reading Shakespeare aloud when making 300 pat at 3 a.m. for a catered dinner party the next day. I loved figure drawing and Virginia Woolf. I loved how Hemingway hardly used adjectives and used and excessively. I loved watching Fellini movies and writing poetry. I just loved all of it. But I would forget when the comparing mind came. So what do we do when we find ourselves getting caught up in the comparing mind? Be mindful. Just notice it's here and allow it. Don't try to chase it away or shut it out. And don't hang on to it. Just allow it to be here, and then notice how it feels in the body, usually tight, constricted, revved up, or in some other way, closed in. 
and notice what thoughts and emotions accompany it. Thoughts of superiority, inferiority, or unworthiness. And importantly, allow these phenomena to also be here just as they are, giving us the opportunity to observe and explore them rather than to get caught up in them. Taking notes can be helpful. As we ask, what's happening now? Making soft mental notes of our experience. Tight, tight, angry, angry, sad, sad, lonely, lonely, and so on. And afterward, taking down a few written notes can also be helpful to remind us what we have observed. This remembering can serve us by making us more attuned so we can wake up from comparing mind before we get caught up in it. Nurturing ourselves with love and self-compassion is also important. Reaffirming to ourselves that we are worthy just as we are and sending well wishes of loving kindness is the antidote to comparing mind. We can simply repeat these or other phrases several times. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be full of peace and joy. When we step back, put space around it, and recognize it just as it is right now, we clearly see the comparing mind. Thank it for trying to protect you and then call upon your moral compass to guide your speech, actions, and livelihood. During this week, be aware of the comparing mind when it comes. Observe it. Get to know it. Send yourself some loving kindness. And in that space of mindfulness and equanimity, reaffirm your core values with the intention to sail in their direction. I hope you enjoyed the show today, and as always, I'm grateful to you, my audience, for being here and for listening, and I'm also grateful for the people behind the scenes who make this podcast possible. Ali Allen for logo and podcast cover design, Gorgias Romero for original music, audio engineering, and production, Bill Rafferty for technical web support, and Margaret Haas for announcing the show. Be well, be mindful.